Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Life Source Church. Uh, come on in and find a seat. We want to welcome all of you who are joining us online as well. It's a privilege to have you there. We'd love to have you join us at some point if you're able to. And uh, to those of you listening uh, later online. So, last Sunday, as I began the sermon, boy, we've got loud people here, don't we? <laughs> As I began the sermon last week, just being by the very nature of what the sermon was about and the fairly lengthy passage, I said, we're probably going to end up with some questions. You'll have questions at the end of it. And you did. And that's, that's good. Uh, I appreciate that. But so um, what I want to do is follow up on just a couple of things from that, okay? Because uh, really good conversations I had with several people this week. Uh, some good insights and things. So I just want to uh, focus in on trying to clarify a couple things. So last week we saw that, that uh, those who've received Christ as Savior, uh, that we have um, been called to live lives that are distinctly Christian. And the idea is we live lives that are distinctly Christian, and that will cause us to, in some sense, stand out, not in a weird way, but to be different in a way that people take notice of. And then they, they, they will be drawn, and we'll see that again today, but drawn to what's, what's up in your life? How can you be like this? And so when Peter talked about this, he, he starts to talk about this distinctively Christian life that will help other people see that God is real. He started off with this idea of submit. So, whoa, we don't like that word very much, do we? But submit, he talked about uh, God-ordained authorities that God has established government, that he's established parents, he's established you know, um, authority in the workplace, he's established authority in the church relationship, um, multiple things like that. <clears throat> okay, And so we looked at that. Now, based on the conversation I've had this week, there's two things that I would like to try to bring a little more clarity to. Okay, So first one is this. In a governmental system like we live in today in the United States, uh, we are free to say no to government when it overreaches or when we believe that it is overreached, right? We are free to say no. Uh, a citizen who disagrees with the government's use of authority can go to court to make that argument and, you know, potentially all the way to the Supreme Court if need be. So there's nothing wrong with disagreeing with authority that's over us, even in other authority relationships and to make an appeal regarding what we see as right or wrong. It isn't just this shut up and do what you're told. That isn't what God is telling us, okay? Now, two thoughts that we have to include with that, though. And the first is we must not have a rebellious heart. If you have rebellion in your heart, you're getting this wrong no matter how you act on the outside, okay? No rebellious heart. Secondly, we must be ready and willing to suffer for obeying God. Because if the conclusion ultimately is... You know, from the government is, no, you have to do this, or no, you can't do that. But we would have to disobey God to follow the government, and we must say no to it. Now, just a related note, just to make sure everybody's clear about this. No one has to remain under the authority of a spouse that is abusing them. Okay? And it's, it's okay to seek legal protection in those kinds of circumstances. Secondly, the government should intervene in situations where parents are abusing children in order to protect those children. Okay, so those are uh, legitimate things. All right, so first is that idea of our government. Second, 
in last week's sermon, we were talking about the issue of not violating your conscience. Like we said, you can't disobey God, which means you can't go against his word, even if government or if an authority tells you to, and you can't um, violate your conscience, right? And so <clears throat> I use the example of the COVID vaccine and the fact that human fetal cells have been used in the researching and testing of the vaccines. And, and so the idea was that since Chris, as Christians, we do not believe it's okay to kill unborn babies through abortion. Um, I said that some Christians might conclude that they couldn't take the vaccine because of the fetal cell issue, right? Their conscience wouldn't allow them to. Uh, and I said that I had taken the vaccine because I looked at it, I didn't determine that my conscience did say that. But that we might disagree. But so a couple things related to this. First, as Christians, if you take a conscience stand against something, especially if it's some, like an, in relationship to an authority in your life, if you take a conscious stand against something, that's a big deal. It's not something that we should do without significant thought, research, prayer, counsel. Um, the fetal cell issue touches many more areas in our lives than just the COVID vaccine. In fact, many of the medications we use on a regular basis also have connections to the use of fetal cell tissue in research and testing and, and uh, those kinds of things. So the point is this, taking a stand on the issue of conscience on any issue, not just the COVID vaccine, requires that we really do our homework. Biblically, scientifically, we can't just read a post on Facebook and then take a conscious stand because of it, okay? Um, and we need to take that stand consistently across the board. And this is what's happening in our country. Some of the people who are wanting religious exemptions, they're being challenged. Well, what about this and what about that? So they're looking to see, are you consistent in what you say you believe? Or are you just using it as an excuse, okay? So it's really important that we keep a good conscience about keeping a good conscience, okay? All right, now, also related to this, it, it, you know, we talk about abortion. It may very well be, and I, I, almost, I, I always try to remember to say this when that issue comes up in the preaching, and last week I didn't remember to. It may very well be that someone here or someone watching online or someone listening to this later has had an abortion, okay? And if that's you, I want to talk to you for just a little bit. You know, while biblical Christianity is absolutely opposed to the practice of abortion, I want you to know this, okay? I want you to know, God loves you, okay? Uh, when Jesus came and died for our sins, he included that sin as well. All of us have sins, and he died for that sin. He died for the sin. If, if you've committed an abortion, he died for that. And that means that you can experience full and free forgiveness in Christ. And that means that because you're a fellow traveler with us, we accept you where you're at and would like to be of help to you, encouragement to you. So we want you to know that a loving relationship with God, filled with grace and forgiveness, is available to you. Okay? You have not crossed some line you can't come back from. You've not gone too far for the Lord to forgive you and to, to work in your life. And not only will he forgive every sin, he will move in, okay? And begin helping you to grow and to restore your soul from the inside out, to bring healing from the hurt that you've inevitably experienced, okay? 
and we'll be right there with you. Okay, we're all on the same page when it comes to having a relationship with God, right? We all come the same way through a loving Savior who died to pay for our sins. So um, I just want to communicate that to you, okay, if, if that's you. Anyway, so Peter moves on in his letter from submission to some other important issues that still have a connection to submission, and we'll be seeing that today, all right? So as always, I appreciate you, you, um, you listen to the word as we preach, and you give it thought, and you have questions, and there may still be questions, right? And that's okay. It's okay. We're growing people, right? We're learning. We're, um, so feel free to continue to follow up. If you have a question, ask, all right? Uh, I'd love to talk to you about it. Before we uh, continue this morning with worship, a couple things. One is that let's don't forget that, that you may or may not be aware. But we have a family who is recovering from COVID-19, okay? And that's always, you know, challenging and hard. So be in prayer about that. And um, we have a beautiful day to worship the Lord, don't we? Amen. All right, so let's. Uh, let's all stand together, band, you can make your way up, and let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our time of worship. Thank you, Father, that you've spoken to us from your word. Thank you, Lord, that when we don't fully understand, we can trust you and, and move forward with what you say. And I pray, Lord, even now we would surrender our hearts to you again. We would say to you, Lord, yes, speak to us today. Speak to us through this time of worship and whatever you would speak to us in our hearts and minds, we will say yes to you about. Help us to grow to be more like the Lord today and more prepared, Lord, to be witnesses for you in our world. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, after I became a believer, after I received Christ as Savior and was uh, involved in a church, and I learned something that really, really important that served me well over the years, something I taught to my children as well, something I've taught you. And that's that in life, when you're looking at something and you're having to make a decision about something, if it looks questionable, what? Don't do it. If it looks questionable, you know, just don't do it. If you can't do it with this heartfelt faith that this is a good and right thing, then don't do it. Um, when in doubt, don't. Okay. Very good advice. Kept me out of a lot of things that would have hurt me. And, and I hope with my kids too. Um, and yet today, we're going to read a passage of scripture that where Peter is actually encouraging questionable living. So what's up with that? How do we make sense of that? Well, let's open the Bibles. Let's jump right in and, and see what God has to say here through the Apostle Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to start in verse number 8, so it means we're starting on page 1392, that's in that Bible under the chairs there in front of you. If you don't have your own Bible with you today, uh, or you don't have a Bible in your phone, whatever, we encourage you to pick up one of those Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you and turn to page 1392, it'll be helpful to you to follow along with us. 
So let's begin. We, we just got through with that section, as I mentioned earlier, about where he's talking about God-ordained authority and how we are to be submissive to God-ordained authority and how that all works uh, with the idea that this is going to be part of your testimony that people see and will help to draw people to Christ. So we'll pick up from there. Verse number eight. He says, finally, after all that I've talked about here, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For, and now he, he quotes from various passages of scripture in the Old Testament, he's quoting it, he says, he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And so we look at here in, in verse 15, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who what? Ask you a reason for the hope that is in you. So the Holy Spirit, through Peter here, is telling us that when we live the way God intends for us to live, people will have questions. It will raise questions in their minds. And so this is where this idea of encouraging questionable living, that we would, Peter here is encouraging us to live in ways that will cause people to ask questions about our faith. And so that's the, live in a way that causes people to ask questions. It's different than if something's questionable, don't get involved, right? So how do we live in a way that causes people to ask questions? Well, first of all, let's say, let me just say, we're not talking about being stupid. That'll raise people to call, right, ask questions. What's wrong with this person, okay? We're not talking about somehow whether you have to become powerful and influential, you know, you have to grasp power, political power, organizational, institutional power. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about becoming famous, you know, sports or entertainment or something like that, that now you, you know, people ask, he's not talking about that. He's really just talking about the basics of life as a Christian. Things that are distinctively Christian. 
Like last week we talked about our author- the authority, how we respond to authority. That's a distinctly Christian thing. Okay, so these are the kinds of things he's talking about. Now, we just got through looking at all the verses and, and the different things he talked about submission. Today I want to talk to you a little bit more about submission. Even though Peter doesn't directly say it here, it's here. Now the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians uh, says this right before he starts talking about uh, uh, the relationship of husband and wife, he says this to everybody, to every Christian, Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. Submitting yourselves to one another. All of us as Christians are to submit ourselves to each other. Now, Paul here is not talking about God-ordained authority relationships. He's not talking about, you know, government citizens or parents. He's not talking about that here. He's talking about us as Christians. It's not about authority. But he says, because we fear God, and fear God means because we have this reverential relationship for God that, that what God says just so matters to us and we want to live in ways that help people to see God in our lives. We want to do it. Because of that, he says, submit to each other. All right, so let's just do a quick review. Remember what the word submit means? Literally means to arrange yourself under. So here we are, there's, there's two people and, and, and we think of normally in the position of authority, like let's say here's a parent and here's a child, we would say the child is supposed to arrange himself under the parent, okay? To submit themselves under the parent. Um, here, Paul is saying that we as believers are to submit ourselves to one another. Hmm. So what that means in life is that as as a Christian, and I have a relationship with you, that I am to submit myself under you, I'm to arrange myself under you so I can come under and help. I can come under and be supportive. I can come under and lift you up and encourage you and strengthen you. But this idea of going under means I'm, I'm not just doing what I feel like doing. I'm not just doing, you know, whatever is coming natural to me. No, I'm making a conscious choice to care enough about you to come arrange myself under you, inconvenience myself, may put myself in a place of hardship, maybe sacrifice, but I'm doing this because of my relationship with God and that has changed how I see you. And then you do it with me. And so, how many of you remember the little chipmunks in the cartoons? I think it was Chip and Dale. Do you remember them? How many of you remember them? Okay, good, good, all right. Because you were looking at me like, what? Where is he going with this? Do you remember? They were saying, oh, after you. Oh, no, no, after you I insist. No, no, after you I insist. Oh, babe. I arrange myself under you and lift you up, and then you arrange yourself under me and help me, and I arrange myself under you, and you. You see what I'm doing? This is what we're doing. We're being submissive to each other when we treat each other the way the Lord has told us to, when we interact with each other the way God has given us instructions. And so this passage of Scripture continues the idea of submission, not to an authority, but to this kind of submission where we are submitting ourselves to one another because of our seriousness of our relationship with God. So uh, let's, let's look here. Starting verse eight. So here's the point. We, if we're going to live in a way that causes people to ask questions, we must, you must willingly submit yourself to the well-being of others. That's what I'm talking about, right? I'm going to arrange myself under for your well-being. 
And, and all of these things require this of us if we're going to do it. He says, finally, in verse 8, all of you be of one mind. Now, just real quick, I want you to understand that does not mean we agree on everything. But it means we come together. Have, have you ever talked uh, when you have a disagreement with somebody and say, hey, we've got to come to a meeting of the minds here? Right? It's the idea of getting to know each other. You know me. I know you. I know what matters to you. You know what matters to me. You know my perspective, where I come from. I know yours. And we work together on that to arrive together on the things that God says are absolutes. And then we may disagree on other things. But we are of the same mind. And one of the things we're the same mind of is the things that we don't agree on are not going to prevent us from going forward with the Lord together on the things that we do agree on. Does that make sense? It, man, there are so many issues in our society and, and, and then how the politics go and all this that if we could, and I, I'm not optimistic, but if we could get people to become of one mind, you know, we could make some progress, couldn't we? And one mind, like I said, again, doesn't mean that we agree on everything, but what do we agree on? Wouldn't it be nice if people came together on what they actually agreed on? And we say, well, they don't agree on anything. Well, that's not true. We can take two extremes in political things and ask them, why does this matter to you? And they might say, well, because we, we care about people and we want to make sure that they have their needs met. Well, do we all believe that? Okay, so see, maybe we could start there. And then, we, you know, try to figure things out. And I, I understand that uh, politics is not church. But having one mind, so working together, we need to do that with each other. Having one mind. You need to do this in your, your marriages. <laughs> okay? Any place that you have the opportunity to do this. And then he says, having compassion. Having compassion for one another. That word compassion is it's a prefix come, which is, means with and passion. Having a passion for one another. It actually translates one word in the Greek language uh, that we get our word sympathetic for, from. And the idea is that we all care about how we feel. We, we care about what's going on in your life. Now, you know, if you look around, just look around you right now. Just look around. Okay. Now, don't stare too long. You'll make somebody uncomfortable. <laughs> you look around. Okay. There are, I'm sure there are people here that you don't really know much about. You might know who they are, but you might even not know that. But as Christians, as we come together as the body of Christ, we should have this shared compassion. Even if I don't know you, I care about you. I value you because God values you. And, and so I care what happens in your life. And, and you, I want you to do the same for me and we do the same for each other. So this is just a, a, a we have compassion for each other. And, and so we flesh out what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 when he says this. He says, and if one member, talking about the body of Christ, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. I'm, I'm very encouraged so many times. And I, I, I'm not giving instruction here. I'm making an observation. And that's that sometimes I'll stand up here and I will say, hey, we need to pray for someone in our church family. And I may not even identify them, but here's what's going on. And I see it in many of your faces. And sometimes you can hear it. Oh, right? Our heart goes out. That's the way we're supposed to be living. And I want to say to you that 
On a large scale, that's different than the world around us. Okay? Not that people don't care out there, but it's just different. It's a different level of compassion. All right, and then he continues his love as brothers. I think this is pretty interesting because um, do brothers always get along? Have you ever seen two brothers pounding on each other and think, oh my, how they love each other? No, but I tell you what happens. When somebody steps up and goes after one of those brothers, what's the other brother do? Because they really do love, don't they? And so we're to love as brothers, which means the reality is we aren't always going to see eye to eye. We aren't always going to get along. You might do something that makes me angry, vice versa. But tell you what, I am your brother, and I'm going to be there for you when you need me to be there. He says we need to love like that. Okay? And then he says, be tenderhearted. And that's just pretty straightforward. Have a soft heart for other people. This is a little different than this compassion which we all have for each other. This is me. When I hear something, I say, turn to heart for you. Either I'm very encouraged for you or I'm very sad for you, right? And, and we feel that. We need to do that. And then be courteous. I say, just be nice to each other, right? But it's more than that. This idea of being courteous, it's, um, it does have to do with being polite and showing honor and respect to each other. Uh, Paul says it like this in Romans 12. He says, be kindly, affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And here, this is what communicates the courteousness in honor, giving preference to one another. That means that if there's, uh, I don't know, silly things. I use silly examples sometimes because uh, I don't have to answer a lot of questions about them later. Uh, <laughs> If there's a particular muffin out there that I like and I want it, uh, when I'm courteous, I'm not pushing you out of the way to make sure I get it. Right? Um, and so in our lives, the idea is that there might be the ways I would like things to be. Right? There's things maybe I don't want to have to go through or maybe things that I do want to. And, but you know what? Because I pref love you and care about you, I, I give you preference. Let's do it your way. Right? Because I value you. And, and once again, that is not a natural thing in our world. And then it continues. He says some things this doesn't occur. Not returning evil for evil. It's pretty straightforward, right? If somebody does you wrong, you don't get them back. That's not how, what we're doing here. So we're not about revenge. In fact, Paul talks about that in Romans 12 as one. He says, let God take care of that. You love. Let God take care of those issues, and he will. And then, or reviling for reviling. Well, what is reviling? Reviling is when you speak harshly with mean spirit about someone or something. Uh, this is classic conversation on social media. You know, hearing something and speaking harshly about it and mean-spirited rather than, see, as Christians, that's not what we're about. And we have the illustration over here, look in chapter two, when Christ was being unjustly accused, beaten, going to the cross, being put to death for nothing he had ever done wrong. Verse 22, it says, who committed no sin. 
Let me back up, end of verse 21. That you should follow his steps. We, this is the example we need to follow. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. So if someone reviles us, whether it's in the body of Christ, outside of the body of Christ, and someone speaks harshly to us or about us, we don't return that. We're not supposed to anyway. We don't want to return that. Instead, we, we are going to commit this to the Lord. Okay, Lord, you know, I'm giving this to you. And he doesn't say it, but what we're going to do is still care about that person. Because what did Jesus say? Matthew chapter 5, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. When he says you may be sons of your Father in heaven, he isn't talking about this how you become a son or child of your Father. It's you're going to bear his likeness. Have you ever seen somebody and go, wow, he is his Father's son? And that's not always appearance. Sometimes that's actions and attitudes. And, and Jesus is telling us here that this is how when we love our enemies and we bless them, when they curse us, we, say, we speak blessing on them. When they revile us, all this that we respond differently. He says, this is how you look like your father. And we're talking about living in ways that people will what? Will see Christ in us. See, so these are the things that Peter is talking about here. Um, and you can't do that kind of thing on your own. It requires Christ in you, it requires his love. And, and so this is a distinctly Christian way of life, these things we're talking about. And, and it will raise questions. And it will do more than just raise questions. That's, that's the big thing I think that Peter's getting. But he also tells you it will bring blessing into your life. Huh. Now I would say to you that we ought to do these things. Our motives always need to be right, right? Because... Uh, oh, wow, I really don't care about these people, but I'm going to act this way so I can have God's blessings. That's wrong motivation, right? But the Lord does tell us here that when we live his way, not only does it raise questions, it brings God's blessings for us. So let's take a look at that. Verse 9, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. So we're going to be a blessing knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. And then he goes to the Old Testament and quotes, he who would love life and see good days, that's blessing, right? A good life that you can love and, and good days. If you're going to refrain your tongue from evil, keep your lips from speaking deceit, turn away from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. So he says that blessings come from living God's way. It really, really does. Just let me say it to you. I've tried it both ways. Blessings come from living God's way. And anything out that, that tells you otherwise is a lie. It's deception. And it will bring damage to you. But this idea, when we live this way, then we will experience blessings. That changes how we approach life. And it, it kind of then, hey, wow, this is good. I want to keep living this way. And then we experience the blessings within. Sometimes it's just peace of heart. <laughs> 
because we're, we're doing what God says and we live this way and our lives become such that it really encourages people to ask questions and see what's going on here. You see, um, this, go back to the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, and God wants to get Moses' attention and he wants to tell him what he wants Moses to do with the rest of his life. And it says Moses was out in, in the desert. He went to the far side of the desert and he's shepherding the flock and he's doing this. And it says he all of a sudden he sees a bush over here someplace that's, that's on fire. And he looks at it and he says, that bush is on fire, but it's not burning up. And it said Moses turned aside to go see. Why was it that this bush is on fire, but it's not burning up? And what was he actually running into? Not fire and bushes, but God. Okay, so you and I live in such a way that, you know, it's not a natural life. It's, it's living, letting God change our hearts, letting God change our minds. And we live this way, and it becomes evidence of someone looking at us in life, and, and they look again, and they look. And something causes us to say, you know, this, this isn't normal. This isn't. I wonder what this is about. And they may not be that conscious over it, but they, they turn aside and, and begin to take a look. And, and what are they really seeing? God in you. You see? And this is the Lord's intent. This is what he wants. He wants us to live in such a way that causes people to ask questions. Uh, again, like I said, not the, the crazy wrong ways, but the right ways. So, all right, let's continue. Verse 13 through 70, he says that, li- and this is something you need to know, living this way may cause suffering. You know there's warnings on everything, right? You know, oh, warning, warning. Here's a warning. Living this way may cause suffering. That doesn't mean we don't live this way, but we need to be aware that it may cause suffering. And Peter, elsewhere in his letter here, says, don't think it's strange when you suffer. We're doing what's right. All right, so let's, let's work through this here. Verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? You know, the, the, the blessing, um, I don't want to say this. We talked about the blessings. Oftentimes, if, if you live the way, by the way, if, if you live the way that we saw Peter talking about, if we live that way, are we usually pretty good people to be around? Yeah. Don't you like to be around people who are like that? It's, it's, it, for the most part, it's viewed as a good thing. Okay? And this is what verse 13 tells us. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Generally speaking, people are going to respond positively to you when you live this way. Okay? So it is a blessing when it does not include suffering. But guess what? It's still a blessing when it does include suffering. You know, there is a spiritual warfare going on in, around us in the world. And so sometimes people will oppose you for living like a Christian may bring suffering into your life. And it is still a blessing. So verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are what? Blessed. Say what? You are blessed. That's right. Okay. I don't necessarily understand that, but I'm going to believe it. Suffering for doing what's right is always a blessing. First of all, as a believer in Jesus Christ, nothing can touch you unless God has allowed it. Okay. Uh, and so if God has allowed you to end up suffering for doing what's right, that means God can and will use it for good. 
His big purposes. Sometimes we get to see that in this life. Sometimes we don't. But we can be assured that God is doing bigger and better things than this suffering we're experiencing. He's going to use it. He's not going to waste it. And one of the things he's doing through it is you suffer for doing what's right. There will be people who will be watching and have questions because of it. Okay? And all, at the judgment seat of Christ, we will clearly see the blessings, right? Because the Lord will evaluate these things and reward us accordingly. And then I think that means that by faith we can see now that it's a blessing. Even if we don't know the details. We can believe God that it is indeed a blessing. And then he says this in the end of verse 14. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Don't be afraid. Okay. Uh, why don't we need to be afraid? They can hurt me. Well, we've all heard this. If you, even if you haven't gone to church much, if you've ever gone to a funeral, you've probably heard it. Out of Psalm 23 when it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I got a gun in my pocket. Because I got a good lawyer. No, what? I will fear no evil for what? You, God, are with me. The God of the universe is with us. And so we don't need to be afraid. Fear comes, but then we need to say, okay, wait a minute, I don't need to fear. We need to believe that. So instead of being afraid, verses 15 and 16, it says, but, don't be afraid, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That word sanctify literally means to set apart as special um, or holy. And really what he's telling us here is we need to settle the issue in our hearts that Jesus is Lord. And he's not just Lord somehow out there in doctrine. No, he's Lord in, of me. He's Lord of me. So I want to resurrender myself to, in my heart to Jesus as Lord. And then he says, and be read, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And so this idea of this give a defense um, literally means it's the idea of a speech given in order to defend and so, uh, or to explain. So the idea is not that we're going to give a speech, but that we need to have already given thought to this. Why do I live this way? Why do I do things differently than the world around me? Why do I want to be able to explain that? And so oftentimes this verse is used to, to talk about, you know, we apologetics, which comes from the Greek word there, apologia. Um, and it's the idea of, okay, we're going to have all the answers to hard questions, right? How do we know God exists? How do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? How do we know the Bible is the word of God? And we want to learn all these questions. And that is good stuff, really good stuff. But really what Peter's saying here is, no, when life gets hard and you're being persecuted, you're suffering for doing what's right, why would you do that? Well, that's a good question. And you need to give some thought to that. And so that you can have that conversation with someone when that issue comes up. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you what I've experienced in my relationship with God. Well, here's some things to know. And it may give rise to those other questions. That's fine. But do you understand what I'm talking about? We're talking about real life. Okay. Answers with, for real life and how we live. Okay. So give thought. And, and then he says this. Give, uh, ask you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. That when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed because it's going to become evident 
that you're doing good, you're not doing bad. And so what is gonna be the credibility for your answer? What's gonna be your credibility uh, is your character and your life. In meekness, that's gentle strength, <laughs> okay? You're not, you're, not a right, you're not always demanding your rights. You know, you're not always being offended and I'm not getting my, no, you're meek. Fear, that's that idea of that serious reverential respect for God and for other people. Having a good conscience, we talked about that last week, maintain it, that's, that's the way you live. And when you live this way, it gives credibility to your faith. When you give an answer, here's why I believe, your life gives the credibility to it. If you're living a hypocritical life, it won't. And then verse 17. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So a couple of things we need to understand. Sometimes it's the will of God that we suffer. Ah, oh, this doesn't seem right. Sometimes it is. It's the will of God for us to suffer. He's, he allows us to suffer and, and he has good and big purposes in it. Um, and the real thing you want to make, make sure you're suffering for doing good and not doing evil. Um, do I need to talk about that or does that just make sense? <laughs> you're suffering, make sure it's because you're doing what's right, not because you're doing what's wrong. And sometimes people do what's wrong in the name of Christ and then say they're suffering for him. And that's sad. All right, then we want to go back and look at a couple of things here. But here's a third thought. You can only live this way if you submit to Jesus as Lord. It's the only way you can live this way. Um, it's not a natural way of living. Go back up to verse 12. It says the blessing of when we're living this way. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. If you are going to live this way, you're going to need to have the Lord hear your prayers. <laughs> okay? Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't actually know what anybody else is praying. He's just talking about an openness to and a responsiveness to our prayers. And so think about this. If I am, have heartfelt given myself to the Lord and I'm, I'm you know, learning to live these ways and I'm, I'm loving other people the way I'm supposed to and I'm living in a way that begins to ask, you know, ask challenging questions and, and then I find myself suffering for this and I cry out to God, oh God, please help me. God, I need wisdom. God, I need strength, whatever. I'm asking that. Do you think God's gonna say, I don't care. No, you're what? You're doing what he's told you to do. You're doing what he's told. Of course he's going to answer. You see, that, that, that brings a place. Because when we live the way God wants us to live, when we submit ourselves to the authorities, and because we believe that's what God has told us to do, when we you know, arrange ourselves under each other because of what God has told us to do, we put ourselves in a position for God to work mightily in our lives. You know why? Because we're out of the way now. You know, when, when I'm doing my own thing, I'm being selfish, I'm doing this other thing, and oh God, would you intervene? God's kind of like, uh, I'd love to, but I got some other things I got to work on here first. You see, but when we yield ourselves to God on those things, we put ourselves in a position now. I, I have to trust God if I'm going to live this way. I have to trust him. Man, I put myself in a position to experience the reality of God in my own life. 
as long as you hang on to it and figure it out all yourself and do things your own way, do things in your own strength, you are not going to experience the reality of God in your life. It's when you let go and say, okay, God, that you really begin to experience those things. Okay, and then the other thing is this, you're gonna to need to settle the lordship issue in your heart. Let's see here. Yeah. You gotta settle the lordship issue in your heart and, and, and you can't settle a lordship issue without receiving Christ as savior because we're all sinners. We've all failed to measure up to God's standards. Um, because of that, we are separated from God. We are in a world of hurt spiritually, spiritually dead, really. Um, but it's when we come to God and say, okay, you are God, and Jesus is your son. He did die for my sins and rise again. So when I receive Christ as my savior, I also receive him as Lord. You can't get one without the other. Now, you may not live like he's Lord yet, and there'll always be things in your life you've got to work on there. But you get him as both. You can't, you can't settle this issue. He's Lord without also saying, I need a Savior. I trust Jesus. And you can do that anytime, anyplace. Just be serious with God about it. Uh, we'd be love to help you with that as well. But so you're going to need him to hear your prayers. And then you must, like I said, you're going to need to settle the Lordship issue in your lives. And let me just, just draw this to a close here. The Lord wants the way you live to raise questions in the lives of, of, of questioning from people about your life. As Christians, we ought to be that different. I mean, shouldn't we think there'd be extreme difference between someone that God lives in and someone that God does not live in? Okay, so we need to live consistent with those ways. He wants people to see it. But if we don't settle the Lordship issue in our lives, uh, we won't be living significantly different. And we won't have any significant answers to the questions we get asked. We really need to settle this issue. And we settle this issue in a once and for all sense, he's Lord, and then we gotta settle it again and again and again and again through as we go through life. That's right, he's Lord. Okay, wait a minute. That's right, he's Lord. You are Lord, Lord, you're my Lord. I, and we gotta, this is this whole process and we keep growing in that, okay? But let me encourage you, go out this week and live lives that encourage questions. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Father, we would live lives that line up with what you tell us in your word. That's so different than what comes natural to us, Lord. We need you to work in our lives and we do want to, to uh, re-surrender or maybe some surrender for the first time, but you are Lord and we want to live our lives in that way. So you be honored and glorified. So you will be seen in us. So that others can come to know you. And to know about you. And I do pray, Father, for anyone here or watching or listening who's not received your son as Savior. I pray that they would, even at this moment, say, oh God, that's me. I believe. I'm going to trust Jesus. I pray they do that. If they need help or have questions, that they'll feel free to reach out, Lord. Thank you for working in our lives, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, God bless you. Have a great week. Next Sunday, we'll have a great Thanksgiving service, which will include an opportunity for people to share.
testimonies, how God works in their lives. And uh, we got a unique way we do that. All right, see you.